Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Rachel Despain is a breast cancer survivor, author, global adventurer, and entrepreneur. She lives in Hawaii with her husband and daughter. She wrote a book titled A Wild Ride, Reclaiming My Edge After Cancer to convey hope to survivors that it's possible to find joy after cancer. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. I've been really looking forward to this. Me too. Me too. And I know this is our second try, so I'm so glad (laughs) you came back. And before we do a deep dive, I just want to know, Hawaii jealous, and two, what does it mean to be a global adventurer? Thanks. So first of all, the Hawaii dream, you know, is a lifelong dream that probably never would have happened if not for cancer. And there've been a lot of sacrifices, huge sacrifices to make that happen. You know, the house that I live in now is half the size of where I was living before, but you know, well worth the sacrifice. Regarding being a global adventurer, I guess that's probably just a glorified way of saying being a gypsy or a vagabond. After the dot-com bust, I was in Silicon Valley and all the jobs kind of disappeared and companies went under. So I just went traveling to try to find myself. And it started with uh, hiking Machu Picchu in Peru on my own. What? Um, Yeah, which was, you know, I was very young then and I didn't have a lot of things to be attached to. And then, you know, it just continued from there. You know, I've been to more than 40 countries. Uh, We were in Thailand, actually, when the tsunami hit in 2004. I learned so much through those travels, and it was a wonderful learning experience. But then once I got married and we started business and had kids, our life has been much more grounded. So that was my sort of previous life. Still, that's amazing. And you have to tell me real quick, top two favorite countries. Go. Whoa. Okay. Thailand is definitely up there. And Turkey would be my other. Really? Turkey and Thailand. Oddly enough. Yeah. Why? So Thailand, you know, we spent a lot of time over there and really got to know the people and the mountains and the beaches and the remote islands that we went to where there was no one there who spoke English. I mean, we really saw the depths of the country and just the sheer beauty, the kindness of the people. It was magical. And then I think being there during the tsunami allowed me an opportunity to really learn about humanity and just it was very humbling experience to be over there. And then Turkey was just exotic beauty, the bazaars, the big, gorgeous buildings, the cultural differences, the f- incredible food. It was just really a magical experience to be there. Somewhere so different from home. Take us back to the beginning of your cancer journey. I'm a breast cancer survivor. I was diagnosed in the spring of 2019. So I'm 50 now. This was just, you know, almost three years ago. So my annual mammogram was clear, but I requested an additional ultrasound because I'd felt shooting pain in my left breast and felt like I had rocks in my underarms. The ultrasound tech 
found my tumor. She was phenomenal and very thorough. It took her a while to find it, but she found it through the ultrasound. They told me initially I was stage one and needed surgery and that I could choose a lumpectomy, which they suggested, or a mastectomy. My instincts told me to get a double mastectomy, and it turned out that that was a good decision. Why? Because when I went in for surgery, all of my scans, so MRIs, CAT scans, mammogram, ultrasound, everything that I had done, and there's a lot of imaging that happens, showed that it was just in my left side. It was one small, tiny little tumor. Nothing was in the lymph nodes or on the other side. And so they planned for me to have a double, I chose a double mastectomy. It was just my instinct that I felt like that's what I needed to do. So thank goodness I was able to, you know, insurance covered that and I went in to get it. No one prepared me for any outcome other than I would wake up with my reconstruction. So it was supposed to be all in one double mastectomy and deep flap reconstruction using tissue from my stomach. And I woke up and looked down and I had no breasts and didn't know what happened. So I looked over and, you know, my husband was in the room and I could tell something was wrong. And it turns out that, you know, they came in and told me they saw the cancer with, they could see it with their eyes. It was in my lymph nodes and on the other side. And they said it was pretty unusual for them to have that much imaging not show any of that. So they had to abort reconstruction and put tissue expanders in. You know, it was just kind of threw me off a little bit, but it was fine. I had to just regroup and went to get six weeks of radiation and then did the reconstruction after that. So I want to go back to the mammogram comes up clean, but you had this feeling that you needed another scan and MRI. One, had that ever happened before? And two, why? You know, oh, you said the shooting pain, right? Yes. Great question. So I had lost my mother two years prior to being diagnosed. And I had been in a, everyone goes through this in life. It's something we all deal with, but I was in sort of a dark, hard place for quite a while after my mom died. And we were so deeply entrenched in handling all of that and all of life's, you know, challenges that it had been a really hard time. And we finally, finally, after two years, took a family vacation and we went to the Caribbean for spring break. And that was a big splurge for the family. We were like, all right, we're going to get back on our feet again. And I started to kind of see colors and sounds, you know, again, that had been muted for so long. And, and then we were on a hike. And I felt this incredible, strong shooting pain from my left breast, something I ne had never felt before. I had been feeling like I had kind of rocks in my underarms for a while, but I was kind of thinking maybe it was deodorant. I was changing my deodorant. I, I don't know. I, I blew it off for a little while. But when I felt that strong pain, I knew immediately when I felt it, that was not normal. And so I made the appointment for the, my mammogram that it was about you know the normal time for when I got back. But when I called the imaging center, thank goodness they were thorough and asked me that question. They said, is this a standard mammogram or is this because you're feeling some different symptoms? And I just said, I was just honest. And I said, you know, actually, yes, I am. I'm, I've been feeling pain in my left breast and my underarm. And they said, call your, get off the phone, call your OB and tell them that you'd like to request a diagnostic 
mammogram, which would include an ultrasound. So I called and she was wonderful. She said, absolutely, of course, let's do that. And she requested that diagnostic that would include the ultrasound. And if not for that ultrasound, I mean, I don't know where we would be right now because it was already in my lymph nodes and my mammogram was clear. So I'm really grateful that I had that opportunity. One other thing I would like to mention is that I had dense breast tissue and, you know, I'd had mammograms before that showed I had dense breast tissue. No worries. It doesn't mean anything. It just means, oh, sometimes it's a little harder to see on the scan. And then I was like, well, should I get 3D mammograms? And they were like, well, you know, you don't really need to, probably not even covered by your insurance. They just really blew it off. And I researched this after I was diagnosed with breast cancer and found out that people with dense breast tissue are more likely to have breast cancer. So it's not a, they're not proving that it causes it, but it's just, you know, makes you more likely to have it. And so you should be doing these extra, you know, whether it's an ultrasound or a 3D mammogram, really taking extra steps if you have that dense breast tissue. And no one had told me that before. So when you were diagnosed, did they have any reason why prior to that surgery that they didn't see more? You know, no one told me anything. In fact, what I heard a lot of, and I loved my team of doctors. I mean, they were incredible. But looking back, I see things that didn't happen. And I told all of my doctors that I felt this in my breast and I felt it in my underarms. And I mean, I, I don't feel pain much. I'm not a, you know, I don't, I have never gone to the doctor often or had many health issues in the past, but I felt this so deeply and they blew that off completely and said, you know, even right before my surgery, they were planning to do that immediate reconstruction. And I said to my surgeon, I just said, you know, gosh, I've been feeling this a lot in my underarms, you know, just kind of as a heads up. And they just kept saying, that's not normal. People don't feel breast cancer. You don't feel it in your underarms and you don't feel it in your breast. And maybe there aren't many of us, but, you know, I definitely felt it in mine and it was strong. So as far as the imaging, they didn't give me any explanation for why they didn't see it. They just said they were surprised and had to abort and change plans. And I feel it if that happened more often, or if they were more prepared, they could have, before I had surgery, just said, Hey, you know, this is plan A, but here's a, you know, here's a possible plan B. You may wake up with no breasts and that happens. And this is what we'll do. But because no one told me that, I mean, I was in shock when I woke up for sure. So I have a question about that. One, did you have to do chemotherapy? And two, how come the deep flap wasn't an option later, you know, a year later? So it was. So the good news is I did, I was able to get the deep flap. I had to get six weeks of radiation and then wait for that to heal for a few months. And then I did get the complete deep flap reconstruction. So I did get that later. But they wanted to put tissue expanders in because they first and had me go through radiation because they felt if they did the big deep flap procedure first, and then I had radiation that it could ruin the breasts that they put in. And I understand that. It's just tricky because I'm not so vain. My concern was not so much that my breasts look perfect. I mean, I'm a 50-year-old woman. I was glad to have feel my femininity, you know, be intact with the reconstruction, but I think I would have been okay with radiated 
reconstructed breasts, but because <laughs> no one gave me that option and we didn't talk about it in advance, I got tissue expanders and then I had to have a whole extra huge surgery. So that was pretty alarming and unusual. And then regarding chemotherapy, you know, I'm so grateful, probably talk about this, you know, before I think I've heard you guys talk about it before, but because of the Oncotype DX testing, which I was so grateful for that genomic testing that can look at your actual tumor and your percentage chance for recurrence, mine was thankfully small enough, even with those lymph nodes being involved that I didn't, you know, they didn't think there was any, you know, chemotherapy would be any benefit to me. So they didn't do chemo, which was, you know, a blessing and a curse because sure, it's nice to not have to do chemotherapy, but on the flip side of that, it's like, all right, what kind of systemic treatment are we going to do to get rid of any lingering cancer cells? Because it was in my lymph nodes and that was very unsettling. So was there any other follow-up treatment? So my course of treatment was the double mastectomy with tissue expanders, six weeks of radiation, then a total reconstruction of both breasts, deep flap. And then I had a total hysterectomy because my breast cancer is estrogen fed, almost 100% estrogen fed. And then I'll be on 10 years of aromatase inhibitors. So that's my course of treatment. That's a lot. It is a lot, but you know, even without the chemo, it is, it is. But you know what? I think you've heard this before, but my oncologist who's fantastic warned me of this. You know, I did okay through treatment because it was like, all right, these are the treatments you need. And if you do these things, this is your best chance for survival. So I was like, all right, let's do this. I was very focused and I felt pretty strong through that. Sometimes probably too strong and not allowing myself to feel my emotions. But my doctor warned me that when treatment was over, that sometimes that's the hardest part of people's journey. And for me, that has 100% been true because there's no roadmap when you're finished with your treatment. You know, you still feel aches and pains. You still, you still struggle physically and emotionally, but there's no roadmap after that. There's not much support other than checking in, you know, every six months and they don't even do tests most of the time. It's like, wait to see if you have a symptom. And that's, that's hard to navigate. Yes, I do hear that a lot. And that is a perfect segue for my question. During all of this, what was your worst moment? Again, waking up without breasts, without being warned that that was a possibility was definitely, nobody prepared me for that possibility. And, you know, also my body burning so badly from radiation. Through the rest of my journey, I I felt pretty resilient and just putting one foot in front of the other. But my my body burned pretty badly during radiation. Mm -hmm. And I remember I went in to my wonderful radiation oncologist and told her towards the end, I don't know if I can keep going. My body is charred second or third degree burns at that point. And it was like to just keep coming in and burning it more, you know, it's just so hard. And I was in tears and she was wonderful. And she calmed me down and she said, you know, if this was my own daughter, I would tell you that the research shows that if you delay, if you have a gap in your radiation treatment, 
it can significantly reduce or, you know, increase your chance for recurrence or reduce your risk of survival by waiting. So it's not as though, you know, you can just do part of your radiation and then have a gap of a week or 10 days to feel better and then go back to it. It's like you have to just keep coming every day. And for me, that was an hour drive each way. So two hours every day for six weeks driving and you're myself. there an hour, I'm guessing, and right? Yeah. And you're driving. I, I drove myself. My husband, you know, had our, was running our business and our daughter needed rides to and from school. So I was doing that on my own. And, you know, my husband was very supportive, but that was just what needed to happen for our family. And, you know, and then to be burning like that and then just keep subjecting yourself to it day in and day out. That was, you know, that was pretty challenging. I want to share with the people who are listening and can't see you that you are very blonde and blue-eyed and very pale. And you are, is it Swedish? Swedish, you're right. Swedish. Yes. And, and so I can totally understand why you would burn. That, that would yeah. be my, my big fear. It, it would not be the chemotherapy so much is, as radiation. It was really hard to psychologically get through that. And you're right. It, it definitely was challenging. There aren't a lot of options out there to mitigate that. Yeah, that was definitely challenging. And I mean, gosh, you know, chemo, I'm sure would be equally challenging for people in other ways. But for me, that was just a dark moment. How about your best moment? I would say the love and support of family and friends, you know, made me just feel like I wasn't alone on that journey. And then even though after my treatment ended, I've struggled the most, for sure. It also has been maybe the highlight of my journey because I've learned to live in the moment and completely acknowledge the idea that there are no guarantees for tomorrow for any of us. And so it's like, if you have a dream out there, shot me into taking quick action to make those dreams come true. And, and that expedited our dream to move to Hawaii and find a more blissful, happy life. And we made a ton of sacrifices, but that was a highlight for me because I think if I hadn't been diagnosed with cancer, we probably just never would have done it. People dream that long-term dream, but it just doesn't really happen. So I'm grateful for that. I love asking those two questions because I think most people assume worst moments when you hear the word cancer, best moments when you hear remission. And sometimes it is mm -hmm. for some people, but rarely is it. That's and so cool. Yeah, I think it is too. It just gives mm -hmm. you such insight. Okay, so we know, Rachel, that you live in Hawaii now. Where did you move from? Well, we've sort of been all over the map. Notably, my husband and I lived in Alaska for a lot of years. He was born and raised in Alaska from Fairbanks, where it gets to 60 below zero. And I grew up in the kind of Austin, central Texas area where it was the you know complete opposite. But we lived in Alaska for 10 years together, where we started and operated a zipline tour for about 10 years had so much fun with that. Um, but then my mom became ill and we wanted to move back to the lower 48 to be more supportive of her. And so we sold our zipline tour to a wonderful couple who worked for us. And 
moved back down south. We lived in Austin for a few years. And, you know, my mom passed away a couple years before my diagnosis. And we wanted to be closer to family for a while. And thank goodness we did because I was there in Austin when I was diagnosed with cancer and could be close to all my family and childhood friends. That was, that was incredible for support. But then after my diagnosis, we kind of were there for a while with family and helped everyone kind of get back on their feet. We felt like it was time we could follow our dreams again and made the huge leap to move to Hawaii. And why Hawaii besides maybe the obvious? (laughs) Yes. You know, I think you were right. We're, you know, we're kind of in the land of contrast between the cold, you know, of Hawaii and, and the warm tropical climate and Hawaii, Alaska and Hawaii. But Oddly enough, you know, in Alaska, a lot of people come to Hawaii for the the winter because it's an easy flight and, you know, they can go warm up in the sun for a while. So we had done that a bit. And 17 years ago, when we were getting into the zipline industry, we flew out to Kauai, the island that we live on now, and we helped build a tour and go through some training in Kauai, another zipline tour. And we did the Kalaulau Trail, which is one of the most beautiful hikes in the world here, and just fell in love with it and said to each other, if ever we could find a way to make our way back to this paradise, you know, this is where we'd love to end up. We feel like it's the most beautiful place we've ever visited in the world. So that was the dream. But I'm not going to lie, it's not easy. It's not an easy dream to pull off. It was really hard. And we moved during the pandemic with a dog. What kind of sacrifices did you have to make to make this dream a reality? They were huge. So again, you know, we were right in the throes of the pandemic. I mean, you know, in the first few months of the pandemic. So it was crazy. Flights were being constantly canceled. We sold our home. We had a business. We had family and friends there. We had everything. We were happy. So to leave that was, some probably would say, not the smartest thing that we could have done. But we just trusted our instincts. I think that being near the ocean provides a lot of, you know, relief from stress. And, you know, we can't assume that we know what our cancer is caused from if it's not genetic and mine was not. But I, my own instincts and intuition from my life tell me that a component of that for me has most definitely been stress my whole life. I don't deal well with stress. And, and then my daughter was dealing with a lot of anxiety. You know, it was like, well, we can keep having all this anxiety and stay, or we can move to somewhere where we could really live a healthier, more relaxed life. You know, we're still working, but the work we're doing now is much less stressful. We truly, when we, we have hard days all the time, just like everyone else, but we go jump in the ocean to work out our kinks. And it really, it really does. It relieves all that stress and anxiety. And we all feel a huge difference and improvement in that regard and feel like it was the best decision besides getting married or having kids, you know, that we ever made was to come out here. So hopefully it will be where we'll be for the rest of our life. Oh, That's beautiful. I'm so glad you shared that. And I'm glad you mentioned your daughter. So how old was she when you were diagnosed and how did that impact her? You know, as difficult as cancer was, 
all the elements from her perspective were the hardest for me. She was eight years old when I was diagnosed and it was tricky because our first question is, you know, how much do we tell her? How much can she process? And I had just gone through a transformation, a parenting transformation where prior to that, I had probably tried to protect her too much and try to keep obstacles out of her way and protect her from pain. And luckily, thank goodness, I learned that wasn't doing her any favors, even though it came from a good place. And so this was unfortunately my first opportunity to really start being more open about the real challenges of life with her. And it broke my heart because she was only eight, but we told her exactly the full truth of what was going on. And sadly, that's kind of when all her anxiety really began. That was crushing for me. I, that was my biggest stress and worry was how, how it was going to impact her and change her. But, you know, I think in the long run, she'll be more resilient, you know, and stronger for it. Of course, I wish it never happened, but um, I think she has grown to be a lot stronger. But that was a hard part of the journey for sure. Eight is a tricky age, but I have no doubt in my mind that you have really prepared her mm -hmm. in a much better way. No, no doubt whatsoever. Rachel, what is the one thing you wish you had known at the very beginning of your cancer journey? I really wish that I'd known that anxiety and childhood trauma have been found to be linked to diseases like cancer. And I would have made better efforts to reduce my own anxiety and work through my past trauma. And I talk about that connection in my book. What kind of anxiety and how were you managing it prior to cancer, if at all? Not very well. Like a lot of us had, you know, some childhood trauma. And then with anxiety in general, I think I just stifled it and kept going. I would move on to the next biggest project. And I think I internalized it all and didn't, it was a mistake, but didn't, you know, didn't complain, didn't try to find any kind of remedy for that. I wasn't doing any form of meditation. I wasn't good with consistent exercise. I'd love to hike and do all these extreme outdoor activities, but not with consistency. And I think I just didn't prioritize myself, which I know is a recurring theme among cancer survivors. But yeah, so I wasn't doing much at all. You know, since my diagnosis, I wouldn't say I'm perfect, but I'm definitely better at prioritizing myself. We moved to a place where there's a slower pace of life and I get to the ocean to get exercise and relieve my stress regularly and try to do more meditation. So I've improved for sure quite a bit since my diagnosis. And if you could only do one thing, to improve healthcare in the U.S., what would it be and why? I would make oncologists specialize in integrative care so that patients would receive information and guidance on nutrition, exercise, and mental health. And I would provide at least five years of therapy, nutrition, and exercise training to be covered by health insurance after treatment is complete. Actually, that is the... Top answer I get now. Really? Answer. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. It's always integrative care and mental health. 
you know, and I was in an area where I was receiving some of the best care in the country. So, I mean, I had a team of some of the best doctors in the whole country and I don't blame them. I think it's the way that their organizations are structured, you know, the companies they work for. It's like they focus on treatment, you know, standard treatment, and they don't have time allowed or resources to share anything about alternative treatment, exercise, nutrition, and mental health, which to me are such a huge part of the problem. And there's really no support for that. And I love what you said about nutrition too, because I have not heard that it's changed very much. I think it's a little bit better, but if you're an oncologist and you're in med school and you're focusing on oncology, you're lucky to get one nutrition class. That's crazy, right? It's crazy. I mean, look, I was, I was diagnosed in just 2019 and I don't want to call out specific doctors or companies or anything, but I had an amazing team that I just loved, you know, and treasured. They're fantastic. But I asked every single one from my lymphedema therapist to my radiation oncologist to my cancer oncologist to my surgeons, everyone about nutrition. Nothing from any of them. Not not one answer, one suggestion, or even an acknowledgement of that. And that was that this recent. It was mind-boggling. I know a stage four childhood cancer survivor who gives all the credit to her grandmother. She's Cuban. And her grandmother was determined that she would not die from malnutrition because of this really severe, severe chemotherapy she was undergoing. And she jokes now as, as an adult that she was the, the only kid going through chemo who gained weight. So she remembers a point that the doctor's like, what are you feeding her? Why is this girl gaining weight? Wow. Her grandmother made sure that she had these very nutritious, very good meals, bone broth every single day, and made sure that she was well fed with really good food, you know, and she remembers that so clearly. That's incredible. I love hearing stories about that. You know, I love to study sort of like the blue regions of the world and why they're living longer and what they're doing. And I think there's a huge component to that. I I definitely, I followed all of my treatments, the, you know, standard treatments, but I wanted to supplement that with good nutrition and the right exercise and diet plan. And there was just no support for that. Okay. Are you ready for the Thriver Rapid Fire? Let's do it. Beach, desert, or mountain? Beach. Kind of thought so, but yeah. don't want to assume, but kind of thought so. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Beatles all the way. That I thought for you. I did. Yeah. I don't know why. Yes, what you're right. One word that best describes you? Adventurous. And before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Imagine by John Lennon. And the last meal you want to eat, speaking of nutrition. Something completely not nutrition. <laughs> Bucatini <laughs> pasta. <laughs> that's what I say. I want to eat everything that's bad for me, everything that hurts my stomach now. Like I just, and I want it all, all, like at exactly. one time. Exactly. But I have, to, I have to know, like I'm going to be gone in the next like 10 hours. So yes, I, yeah, exactly. No, no impact. Yeah. <laughs> the last person or people you want to see? Definitely my husband and daughter. 
and the last words you will speak. You gave me joy that few people will ever know. And I hope you're able to pursue your joy and passions wholeheartedly. That's so beautiful. Aside from Cancer You, what's one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And please tell people how they can get in touch with you and get your book. Our website is about to go live for warriorhealthandbeauty.com. And it's sort of a wellness and lifestyle website aimed at cancer survivors to provide us with resources and inspiration and just lightheartedness that we all sort of need. The best way to reach me is probably through Instagram or Facebook, and that would be a Wild Ride book is the name of my page in those two locations. And my book, A Wild Ride, Reclaiming My Edge After Cancer, is available on Amazon. Hopefully it will provide a little inspiration to others who are struggling with their journey after cancer. When did the book come out? It just came out in 2021. So just, you know, about five or six months ago. Wow. Okay. Well, congratulations. Thank you. We will put links to all of that in the workshop and the show notes. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story today. Thank you so much for having me and for your patience, wonderful hospitality and kindness, Mm -hmm. and for the work that you're doing for all these people. Oh, thank you. You are very welcome. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.